going to do to him, what it was going to cost him, the end result. But he also learned more about the Father than he ever would have known before. Learned about his grace and his mercy and his compassion and long-suffering. And uh, thank God for that, uh, the, the nature of the Father that has been revealed unto us. And um, we know that story very well as the prodigal son. But when we read that story, the parable does not end with the son coming back home and with the feast and the music and the rejoicing and the dancing. But there's a continuation in that story. And uh, I want us to read the rest of that story tonight and as give you, as Paul Harvey used to say, the rest of the story. <laughs> you know, some of you too young don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> we listen to Paul Harvey every morning going to school, 7.30 in the morning. We, we're on the road to school. My parents driving. We'd listen to it and listen to it. I, I believe it'd come on in the, the afternoons as well, right about lunchtime. And some of the stories... Uh, that he told, never forget it. Well, tonight we're going to give you the Paul Hardy edition, the rest of the story. And begin our reading in verse number 25. And it reads as this, Now his elder son was in the field, and as he came and he drew nigh to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said unto him, Thy brother is come, and thy father hath killed the fatted calf, because he hath received him safe and sound. But he was angry, and he would not go in. So therefore his father came out and entreated him. And he answering said to his father, Lo, these many years do I serve thee. Neither transgressed I at any time thy commandment, and yet thou never gavest me a kid, that I may make merry with my friends. But as soon as this thy son was come, which hath devoured thy living with harlots. Thou hast killed for him the fatted calf. And he hath said unto him, Son, thou art ever with me, and all that I have is thine. It was meet that we should make merry and be glad. For this thy brother was dead and is alive again and was lost and is found. I want to preach to you Tonight, if the Lord will help us on the thought of the other prodigal. The other prodigal. I was showing uh, Brother Jason my title tonight. He could put it on, uh, on Facebook, on the live stream. He said, there was another one? Amen. We're going to learn about the other prodigal son tonight. If you will, stretch forth your hands this way. And ask God to help us and anoint us tonight. Father, we love you. We are so thankful for the privilege that we have once again to come. And to be in your house to worship you, to praise you, to magnify and glorify your name. Father, we're asking now for the unction, the anointing, the empowerment of the Holy Ghost to rest upon us. To enable me, oh God, to preach the engrafted word of truth to the saving of our souls, Lord. Father, I, I have no giftings, no talents, no abilities outside of you. Father, if this preaching is going to be effective and you're going to receive the glory for it, you're going to have to touch us and empower us tonight. Father, I pray that you would challenge your church. Stir up your church in these late hours. Father, to, to realize that we are in the closing hours of this dispensation of grace. I believe that 
It could be more serious than that. We're not just in the closing hours, but we're in the final minutes and the closing seconds. I pray, oh God, that we could be uh, awakening and shaken tonight. Father, that the church could once again be the church to do what you would call us to do. And we could be that effective vessel that you would have us to be. Help us now, oh God, and we pray in Jesus' name that we pray it. And the church says, Amen. And amen. In our, our text tonight, the younger son oftentimes gets most of the attention. Most of the light is shed upon him, and, and rightfully so. This is a story about the greatness of redemption. About the, the lost son which was lost and undone and outside of the Father's house and outside of the household of faith being redeemed and being brought back and restored. What a great gospel message that is the, uh, the picture of each and every one of us that we all at some point in time in our lives had been that prodigal son that was dealing with the stinking aspects of sin whose life was in chaos and in ruins but uh, found mercy and grace. And the, at the Father's house. And our life was redeemed and restored. But in our story and in our, in our text, it does not stop with the redemption and the restoration of the younger son. But the story continues on in the second half and the, the second portion of this story doesn't get near as much attention. But if there was not spiritual significance in it, why would it have been included in Scriptures? If there were no truths for us in the second half of the story, then it simply would have been omitted. But these portions of Scripture, the second half of Luke 15, the story of the prodigal son, is just as much inspired as the first portion of the story. There's just as much spiritual truth in here for the church, I believe, as the first portion of the story. For I believe that there, were, the, 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 there was more than one prodigal son in the text and in our story. If you were to look up the word prodigal, it simply means in the Greek, one who acts irresponsibly with what he's been given. That's what it means to be a prodigal. We like to try to add different adjectives and put different phrases of what we think being a prodigal means. But in the original language, it just simply means one who acts irresponsibly with what he's been given. And as we go back to the front of the story and we read, the Bible says that the younger son approached the father and he asked him, he said, Father, would you give me the portion of goods that falleth unto me? And the Bible says that he divided unto them their living. He divided unto them their living. Which means that he gave both of his children an inheritance. The younger son gets most of the attention, and again, rightfully so. Because we see he went out and squandered it. We see what sin did to him. And we preached that this morning, how he lost it all. But we can also see how the older son, while he never left the father's house, while he never strayed into a life of sin, somewhere along the lines, 
he lost the heart of the Father. He may have been in the house of the Father, but he did not possess the heart of the Father. How can you make that statement? We can see a, a couple of points tonight I believe we can draw from this story. Number one, we can see it because of his lack of burden for the one that was lost. We can see that while his father was out looking for the younger son, the Bible doesn't specifically say that, but the Bible does say that while the younger son was yet a great way off from the father's house, the father saw him. He spotted him. He ran to him, had compassion, fell on him, kissed his neck. I mean, how was it that he found the father a great way off from the house? The father had to be out searching for him, had to be out looking for him. I mean, the, the whole uh, uh, the intent of Luke chapter number 5 uh, was about finding those that are lost. Uh, the woman had the lost coin, uh, so she had to search diligently for the coin that was lost. Uh, she had to clean up her house. She had to light a candle. Uh, there's the story there of the lost sheep uh, where Jesus left the 99 in the fold uh, and He went out and searched uh, for the one that was lost. Uh, and I believe if you were to keep with the theme and the context of the Scripture... I believe that you could interpret it uh, that the father was searching for that lost son. Uh, amen. He walked out looking. Uh, and that's why when the younger son was still a great way off from the father's house, he had that encounter with him because the father was out searching for him, seeking the one which was lost. But while the father was out looking for the younger son, the older son was consumed with the day-to-day -day affairs of life. The Bible tells us in verse number 25, Now the elder son was in the field. And as he came and he drew nigh to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. While the father was out searching for the younger son, the eldest son was more worried about the beans and the potatoes. He was more worried about the crop and the income than he was that younger brother that was lost. And notice what he said when he found, when the, the younger son came home and he asked the question, he said, what's the, the sound of this meaning? And he said, uh, uh, this, your brother is lost and he's found. And he had the dialogue with the, the father and he said, uh, wow, I've been living here. You've never given me a fatted calf. You've never given me a kid so that I can make merry with your son, uh, with uh, my friends. But this, thy son, which was lost. He didn't even want to identify himself as his brother. He didn't want there to be any linkage there. He said, this is your son. If you've got two sons, uh, you, it's a brother relationship. This is my brother. Uh, he disowned him as his own brother. He didn't say when he was found that my brother is found, but he said, this your son, your dirty, rotten, filthy son has come back and you're giving him all of this. The oldest son had no burden for that which was lost. Even though he was inside the father's house, even though he never left, he never went to the bright lights of sin. He never ventured out in the world. Amen. He was so consumed with the day-to-day -day affairs of life that he lost 
lost out on the heart of the Father. And I'm so concerned that much of the church is in the same exact boat today. No, they're not out drinking. No, they're not out partying. No, they're not out living some frivolous lifestyle. But they're so consumed with the day-to-day affairs of this life that they've lost their burden for those that are lost. Amen. They're no longer moved with compassion. They no longer have that desire to witness, to tell their testimony, to tell somebody about Jesus. They're just like that oldest boy that while yes, he was in the house of the Father, he did not possess the heart of the Father. The church never was intended to be a cruise ship for the saved. But it was always intended to be the lifeboat for the perishing. Somewhere along the lines, we've made the church about us. When the church was designed to be about Him and about them. Say amen to me somebody. Listen, there's a point where if we're not careful, even with ministry, even being consumed with ministerial work, that it can pull you away from the heart of God. I've got to do this. I've got to do that. That this needs to be done at the church. That needs to be done at the church. I've got to do this. I've got to be here. I've got this service. I've got this engagement. And if we're not careful, we can be so busy doing kingdom work that we lose out on the kingdom. We do put all of the work ahead of the most important thing. And when the main thing ceases to be the main thing, then we're off the rails somewhere. We've got to be careful as a body. We've got to be careful as the church that yes, we're busy. Yes, we have lives. Yes, we have to work and make a living. Yes, there's things that's got to be done. But first, our first priority must be Him. And then our second priority must be about the world that's lost and dying and going to hell. Oh my God, as the world is engrossed with darkness and gross darkness, it's people. Amen. We've got to be the light that God has called us to be. We have one purpose, and that is to be salt and to be light in this present world. And for us to be that effective witness, we must have a burden. We must. Have a burden. The church must get a renewed vision and a renewed passion for reaching the lost. There's a website that you can look up. And it's kind of a morbid website. But it highlights the world death clock. And every second, the number, the, the world's population number It increases and it decreases. And every time that number changes, there's either a new birth that has been recorded into government databases around the world, or there's death that is occurring. And every, this particular portion of the website, it only focuses on those that are perishing. It only focuses on those that have drawn their last breath. And so every 
second that the clock ticks, you can see the number increasing and increasing and increasing. Per year, 56 million people around the world perishes. If you were to break that down by month, that's 4,679,450 souls perish every month. Break it down by day, that equals 153,424 souls. Break that down by hour, every hour, on average, 6,392 people draw their final breath. Per minute, that equals 106 souls that perish and slip into eternity every minute. Every second that the clock ticks, 1.8 souls on average slip into eternity. Round that number up, it's close, it's, it's safe to say almost two people around this planet perish and slip into eternity. And when that happens, they don't go to purgatory. When that happens, they don't go to the happy hunting ground in the sky. When that happens, they either know God and have been born again and go to heaven, or they don't know God they haven't been born again. And oh God, they're lost and will spend eternity forever and forever in the lake of fire. You think about it. One Mississippi. Two Mississippi. Three, six souls have slipped into eternity. Five, six, seven, fourteen souls have slipped into eternity. In just the time that I've been talking is relaying that statistic. 25 souls have gone into eternity. Amen. And while the church, yes, we have good church and we can lift our hands and we can feel God and feel His presence. Amen. Do we truly have a burden for the souls that don't know God that's perishing and on their way to hell? Seven billion people on this planet. And there's millions upon millions that have never heard the name of the Lord Jesus Christ one time. That if the church doesn't wake up and reach them on there's time and opportunity. They'll perish without ever hearing the name. Without ever knowing the greatness of God's salvation. Oh, I'm stirred up tonight. We as a church must get a greater burden for the world. that's perishing around us. Amen. COVID. In the United States alone. Some 619,000 have died. Due to COVID. Around the world. Other countries. I can't remember exactly what the death toll is. It's in the millions of people now. That have died. To COVID. How many of those 4 million. Were right with God. How many of those 4 million. Are lost. In the devil's hell. I don't know that answer. Neither do you. But the Bible says the broad is the way. Broad is the gate that leadeth to destruction, and many there be that find it. But straight is the way. Narrow is the gate that leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. Oh, if the church doesn't do her job, there's more people lost and dying and going to hell every day than there are 
going to heaven. That's enough to keep you up at night right there. Knowing that souls are slipping into eternity. We can't fathom how wonderful heaven is going to be. But we also can't fathom in our minds how unbearable and terrible hell is going to be. Listen, I detested Osama bin Laden killing 3,000 of our citizens on 9-11. On what he did in Kenya, in Tanzania, bombing our embassies, how many thousands of people that man is responsible for killing around the world. And as much as I hated what that man did, amen, when he died and he went to hell, I saw people rejoicing on social media, all this kind of stuff rejoicing that a tyrant was dead. And I was glad to see that he was brought to justice. But on the other side of my heart, I was thinking that man for all of eternity is going to be burning and screaming in a devil's hell where the fire is not quenched and the worm dieth not. Oh my God. I don't even want my worst enemy amen to spend an eternity in hell and yet they're going there every day by the droves and by the droves amen this youngest our oldest son he was so consumed with work in the father's house working in the fields if somebody were to put a badge of honor on a boy for being the father's best son they would have said it's him hands down but he lost his burden for his brother that was lost did not possess the heart of the family, the heart of the Father. We not only see this in His lack of a burden, we see this in His lack of compassion. Look at the Father's reaction to the Son coming home. In verse number 20, He arose and came to His Father. But when He was a great way off, His Father saw Him, had compassion and ran and fell on His neck and kissed Him. But look at the brother's reaction. He said unto this, he was talking to the servant, thy brother has come, thy father hath killed the fatted calf because he hath received him safe and sound. And he was angry. He was mad that that younger boy came home. He had been erased out of his mind. He had been erased, amen, out of his heart. And when his brother came back home safe and sound, he was angry. While the father threw a party that the youngest son that was lost was found, the older son threw a fit. He had a temper tantrum. The Bible says that he was angry. You look up that word angry in the Greek, it means to become enraged. To be red, hot, mad. To provoke an emotion of anger. His face turned red. His blood pressure rose up in his head. He was about to blow his stack because his younger brother came home. And then we see that he didn't have a burden. Now we see that he did not have compassion. Oh, if the loss being saved makes you mad, then I question your salvation. As a matter of fact, I don't have to question it. I can tell you, you're not saved. Listen, if, if seeing the lost saved makes you mad instead of rejoicing, amen, over the lost being sound, you begin, amen, to become furious that a lost man or woman has been passed from death unto life. Amen, something is bad wrong in your life. 
somewhere. And you better find an altar and pray through. Amen. Because it's you that needs salvation. It's you that needs a fresh encounter with a father. Amen. There's no excuse in being mad when someone else is born again. The difference in the two reactions was compassion. The father had compassion and wept while the older brother grew angry. He had grown so familiar in the father's house that he lost his burden for his lost brother. And where there is no burden for the lost, there will be no compassion when the lost is found. As we look at Scripture, everything that Jesus Christ did was birthed out of compassion. Many times, He walked into a village, they were sick, the Bible said He had compassion on them and healed them all. He had compassion over the lepers. He had compassion over the lame. He had compassion over the lost. I'm not saying that I've seen it here because I haven't. But there are some churches that I have preached in. I call them saved, sanctified, and petrified. They become as hard as hard can be. And if those coming down the aisle don't look just like them, dress just like them, act just like them, they want absolutely nothing to do with them. Jesus told us to be fishers of men. He didn't say to be fishers of bass or brim or catfish or amberjack or snapper. He didn't give any specifications on the fish. He just said, go catch some fish. So when you are sharing the gospel, you're going to come across some people that don't look just like you. They don't act just like you. They don't live just like you. They don't smell just like you. But Jesus died for them just as much as He did for you, honey. Oh, hallelujah. If everything Christ did was birthed in compassion, then everything that the church does must be birthed in compassion. Listen, I don't care what they look like. What they act like, what they smell like. If they come down to this altar and they're looking for Christ, listen, I can put my preconceived notions of what I think aside. Amen. Because Jesus can do more in two seconds than I can do in two lifetimes. And that's what the church is here for. To show compassion and to show love. The love of Almighty God. Oh, hallelujah. That's what we're here for. And if we become, amen, so holy, amen, that we can't have compassion for the Lord, then we're just as in bad a shape as the lost man themselves. I didn't anticipate getting too many amens right there. But it's the truth anyhow. This younger, older son did not have a burden, did not have compassion. We also see this in his self-righteousness. That's a big booger right there. If you lack a burden and you lack compassion... It will breed self-righteousness in your heart. Look at what he said in verse number 29. And he answering and said to his father, Lo, these many years do I serve thee. 
Neither transgressed I any commandment at any time. And yet thou never gavest me a kid that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as this, thy son, would not even identify him as his brother. But when this, thy son, was come, which had devoured his living with harlots, thou hast killed for him the fatted calf. In this response, we see what self-righteous people do all the time. They tried to make themselves look better while putting their brother down. Notice the credentials, Father. I've never transgressed a commandment at any point in time. I'm holy as holy can be. I've, I've never done anything wrong. And yet this boy, let's look at what he did. Now nothing that he said wasn't true. Just throw that out there. He had his younger brother pegged pretty good. He's devoured his living with harlots. He's wasted everything that you gave him. He's marred the family name. Everything that he said technically was true. But it was all past tense. It had all been redeemed. So not only was the older brother trying to build himself up, he was digging all type of dirt out from things in the past to try to make his brother look bad. Let me tell you something, beloved. If you've got to try to go back in the past to try to dig up dirt on somebody else that's already been covered by the blood of Jesus, you're going to be the one with the bad dirt on your hands. Amen. Because as far as he's concerned, God is concerned. He's already cast that thing as far as the east is from the west, never to be remembered again. Man may remember it all of his natural born days. Amen. All of the evil and the wickedness. But as far as God's concerned, it never happened and it's gone. That's what mercy and grace does. Amen. We must never get to the point to where when we try to build ourselves up in pride that we're willing to kick somebody while they're down and dig up dirt from past sins and from past failures that the Father has already forgiven them of. Amen. That breeds to death in the life of a believer. He was looking down his nose with indignation over the lost boy. There was no difference. Notice this. There was no difference in this boy's actions than the prodigal son that was in the hog pen. They were both filthy in the nostrils of the father. Absolutely filthy. And both of them broke the father's heart. They were just like Another group of people in Luke chapter number 18. And Jesus said he spake this parable unto certain which trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. Two men went into the temple to pray, the one a Pharisee and the other a publican. And the Pharisee stood and prayed thus with his father, God, I thank thee that I am not as other men are, extortioners, unjust adulterers, even this publican. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. And the publican standing far off would not lift up so much as his eyes unto heaven but smote his breast saying, God, 
Be merciful unto me a sinner. Jesus said, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone that exalteth himself shall be abased. And he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. Listen, we can build ourselves up in pride as we look around at the world around us and say, I'm better than them. I'm better than her. I'm better than you. But the Bible said the pride goeth before destruction and a holy spirit before a fall. Listen, if we get so busy comparing ourselves to others, amen, we begin to think and fool our own heart. That we're all right in the eyes of God. Listen, other men and other women never have been the mark that we're to measure up to. But it's the Father, it's God, it's His Holy Word that we should strive to measure ourselves by. And it matters not whether you've been saved five minutes, five years, or 55 years. Listen, we never can measure up fully on this side to the high standard of the holy calling of God that He's telling us to measure up with and to walk closer to oh my God there never should be an ounce of self-righteousness in us amen it should be holy reverence and thanksgiving for what God has did and done in our lives and it's with a burden and compassion that we show the world what caused him to lose his burden and compassion and become self-righteous I believe we find the answer in verse number 29. He answered the Father. And he said, Father, lo, these many years do I serve thee. There may not be anything wrong with that statement in and of himself. But I believe that this boy confused a life of service with a life of love. He didn't say, Father, these many years have I loved Thee. These many years have I cherished Thee. But here He is saying, Lord, these many years I serve You. I just do the task. I do what's asked. His life was going through the motions. His life was based on service and not on love. To break this down to where the rubber meets the road, you can work on a job for 40 years and you could get employee of the month, employee of the year, employee of the decade. You can receive bonuses and promotions. You can serve that job faithfully with distinction. But that does not mean you love your job. Just because you're good at something don't mean you love what you do. And I'm afraid that this boy in our text confused a life of service or the life of love. Father, you need the cows fed, I'll feed them. You need the grass cut, I'll cut it. You need trees cut down, I'm your man. Whatever you need, I'm here for your service. But just because you're serving the Father does not mean that you really love the Father. How do you know that? The Bible says that there's many who confess Him with their lips, but their hearts are far from Me. They say the right things. They do the right things. But they're doing it for the wrong motives and the wrong reasons. 
they're confused in a life of servitude with a life of love. Now don't misunderstand what I'm saying. If you love Him, you're going to serve Him. If you love Him, there's going to be a desire to do kingdom work. Kingdom-minded people are going to be consumed with kingdom-minded things. There's things that need to be done. There's need to be doing. I, I'm not here giving you an out and excuse and saying I don't have to do anything because I love the Lord. Nope. But there are some people that put their salvation in the works and the servitude and they're not doing it because they love Him. God help us never get to that place. He confused a life of service with his life of love. Our works must not be done out of obligation, but everything that we do must be birthed out of love. If we fall out of love with Jesus, we will wind up in the exact same boat as this man in Luke chapter number 15. If Jesus fails to be the main thing and the main priority, and our life of love for Him fails to be the main thing that pushes us and propels us, then we'll lose our burden. We'll lose our compassion. We'll become self-righteous. And we'll just go through the motions of religion, having a life of service, but not having a heart of love. Kirsten, if you'll come help me tonight, I'm done. The other prodigal, in Luke 15, he never left the house. He never journeyed into the far country and wasted his living, his substance with riotous living. But I believe his reaction to the salvation of the younger son broke the heart of the father just as much as the younger son that was in the hog pit of sin. As the church of the living God, we have an awesome opportunity in front of us. We're living in an hour that's unparalleled with sin and wickedness and ungodliness and a world that's going to hell all around us. What a great opportunity for the light and love of the Lord Jesus Christ to shine through us each and every day of our lives. Don't be the older son. Don't be the older son that saved, sanctified, and petrified. Like petrified wood that's there with no value, that's hard, whose heart has become hardened. But be the church. Be the vessel. Be the rescue vessel for those that are lost and undone and perishing. We've got some in this church. Amen. Outreach-minded. Thank God for you. Going into the streets, preaching, teaching, Discipling. That's what it's about, folks. Amen. I thank God for everything that goes on in here. Man, but it should all propel us for what goes on out there. Closing with this, I had a friend of mine in Jacksonville, Florida, just, just a couple of weeks ago. He posted they were doing a back-to-school backpack giveaway for the local elementary school in their area. And he posted something that shook me to the core when I read it. He said that they were packing backpacks, putting school supplies in them. They were having to do a drive-through 
to, to give on the backpacks due to COVID. They weren't able to do it as, on a larger scale as they would have liked to have done, but they were there able to present the families with backpacks and able to pray with them. And he gave a testimony from one of those parents. And when I read it, it, it shook me to the core. She said, Pastor, I've lived on this street all my life. And I didn't even know that this church was here. All my life, lived just a few blocks down. Didn't even know what this building was. I thought it was just a warehouse or facility. I don't know the impact that the church has had on the, the community before. And I begin thinking how sad that is for that community to never even know that church existed. I begin to think about different churches with I, I shared it in Stapleton the other night preaching up there. Would our community be shaken? If we close our doors, would just people say, oh, well, that's another one that bit the dust? I had a burden grip my heart. I want to be the effective vessel and the effective church that God has called us to be. Thank God. I told you this morning, I desire to be in a church with a global impact and a global reach. Thank God we are. Souls around the kingdom of God. Souls around the world have been birthed into the kingdom of God because of what God has done in and through us. And He gets all the glory and all the praise. Thank God that I belong to a church that if we shut down, the world would notice. And the world would know. There's a lot of churches out there that can't say that. There's a lot of churches out there that's just going through the motions of religion. They're in the Father's house, but somewhere along the lines, they've lost the Father's heart. My prayer tonight is that God would give us a renewed burden, a renewed zeal, and a renewed passion. Folks, this thing is almost over with. Jesus Christ is soon to come. And when He comes, amen, I want us to be doing the will of the Father. I want us to not be consumed with the day-to-day -day affairs of life. All of that is necessary. But I want us to be doing the will of God and possessing the heart of the Father. Thank God that we have been and thank God that we are. But even in all the things that we've done, there's still more that I can do on a personal level. And if we search our own hearts and lives, there may be, may be more tonight that God lays on your heart to do and to be for the kingdom of God. We cannot fail in our mandate. We cannot fail in our mission. To hear Him say, well done, church, we must first do something well. Amen. I want to possess the heart of the Father. And do His will while there's time and opportunity. I wonder if you would. Would you meet me in the altar with that one thought in your mind? Father, I don't want to be in your house and lose your heart. 
But God, I want to possess your heart and do all that I can while I can for the kingdom of God. In my community, in my classroom, in my college, Lord, and, and on my job site, in my family, at the family reunion, in Walmart, in Piggly Wiggly, in Publix, wherever I am, let me be the church. Let me have your heart. Let me show compassion. Let me have a burden for those around me that's lost and dying and perishing. Oh God, let me have your heart and lead me to those that need you, Lord. Oh, hallelujah. Oh God, don't let us be the older son. Don't let us be the younger one that's out lost and in the world. Don't let us be the older one so consumed with the chores that he loses out on his purpose for being Lord. Hallelujah.